chapter 17, Luke chapter 17. And while you're turning there, I'd like to invite you to return this evening. We have the, uh, the privilege of having Dr. Robert Godfrey, uh, who is a professor, um, one of my, my, my favorite professor, actually, uh, church history at Westminster Seminary in California. And he's now serving as the president of Westminster Seminary in California. A delightful man, a great preacher, loves the gospel, and just want to encourage you to come out and be blessed this evening as we worship the Lord together and uh, Dr. Godfrey um, takes the pulpit. We're going to be, uh, if you're following along in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke as we're as going through it, you're going to notice that we're skipping verses 11 through 19, because I hope to pick that up. I thought that would be appropriate for our Thanksgiving service, which, just a reminder, is the be the 23rd, the Wednesday evening uh, before Thanksgiving, a great service to invite friends and family to. But uh, we'll be looking at that then. So we're moving on to verse 20 of Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read through verse 37. But we'll be focusing this morning on verses 20 through 25. Let's give our attention to God's wonderful word. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out uh, to follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let, not the one, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's bow and ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, we come now to your beautiful, inspired, inerrant word. We thank you that these words are given to us from the mouth of Jesus. I pray that we would hear them, believe them, be trained in righteousness because of them. And so we give, Lord, this time now to you and ask for you to have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message this morning is not what you find in the bulletin. That'll be the title, Lord willing, for next week. Um, We are looking today at the title of Missing the King, Missing uh, the King. Have you ever seen that uh, television commercial where... Children are, are uh, in a pool uh, playing Marco Polo, and Marco Polo is standing in the pool. 
Uh, if you know how the game is played, um, one of the children who's it, it closes his eyes and, and cries out Marco, and uh, the other kids have to say Polo, and then he's got to try to, to find them with his eyes closed. And so, and so in the commercial, the, the, um, the cute part of the commercial is uh, the kids are, right, cries out Marco, and uh, he goes, uh, right here, right here, uh, I'm Marco Polo. And the frustration of right, the real Marco Polo uh, having these children looking for him, and he's standing right there, and they, they don't see him. Well, do, do, you, do you imagine that if Jesus ever felt that way? Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, talked about the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and Pharisees uh, talked about the Messiah we have here in our text. They even asked Jesus uh, when the kingdom of God would come. And, uh, when would the Messiah come and, and establish the kingdom of God? Um, and Jesus is right there. They're talking about him. They, they, they say they're looking for him, but they don't see him. I wonder when the Messiah will come. I wonder when the kingdom of God will come. Jesus, what do you think? That's what we have here in this story. Uh, what's humorous in the commercial, though, of course, is, is devastating um, in Luke chapter 17, because Jesus is talking about very serious things, and there's a sober message here that people are going to be eternally lost or enjoy eternal life, depending on do they see the king, and do they respond in faith to the king. And Jesus says there will be many people in that last day who will realize that they missed him. They didn't see him. Missing things is a common reality of normal human life. We, we miss appointments. Uh, either we don't, don't write them down or we just don't look at the calendar or whatever and you just miss the appointment. Uh, we miss flights. Have you ever missed your, your airline flight? It's a horrible experience. We miss important things like uh, maybe your little girl's soccer game and she scores their one and only goal by some miraculous event and it's the only goal she'll score all year long and you missed it. We miss things. We miss each other in relationships. We'll assume um, a, a meaning that was never intended or we'll, we'll assign motives that weren't actually there and, and, and relationships suffer from that. We, we miss things. Well, Jesus this morning is talking about the devastating uh, reality that people will miss the king and that will have eternal consequences. Our text really does run through verse 37, but it breaks naturally into two parts. In the first part, Jesus talks about the ways that people miss the king, the ways that they... they uh, they either don't see him or are led astray in, in looking or waiting for him. And then uh, verses 26 and following, he explains the consequences. Uh, that it's going to be on the day when Jesus returns, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah and Lot. So we're going to look this morning, very, uh, very brief outline. First, looking at the Pharisees' misconception, verse 20 and 21. And then we'll be looking at the, the mistakes disciples can make in 22 through 25. Let's give our attention to verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. The Pharisees uh, uh, don't really know what to do with Jesus. He's clearly a religious leader. He's a teacher. He is, um, doesn't really fit in any of their categories. They're, they're, they're confident he's not what he, 
He's not really a man of God. At least some of them are, are clear about this because he wouldn't be hanging with the, people's, the people that he hangs with. But, but they're curious about, he, about uh, what he might think about this topic of the kingdom of God. When, when will it come? Now, when, uh, when the Pharisees talked about the kingdom of God, they had a, a concept of that kingdom in their mind. It, when they hear those words, they, they think thrones and palaces and armies marching out in their brilliant array. They see a Rome brought to its knees, expelled from the land. Uh, they see Israel reigning as the great nation over all the earth. So they're, they're thinking borders, boundaries, um, politics, military might, ever-widening influence, expanding borders, increasing wealth. And their question to Jesus is, when? Because things are not going well, obviously, in Israel. Rome is, is ruling. The nation is small. It's weak. It's despised in the world. And they have a deep desire to see the, the people of God established as the reigning class, the reigning nation on the world. It seems that that's what God promised in the Old Testament, when there would be a kingdom um, that would never pass away, and there would be a king like David. So they're waiting for it, and they're saying, Jesus, when is that coming? Well, Jesus' answer um, is twofold. At least has two aspects to it. The first thing Jesus says, well, it's not going to come the way you think it's going to come. The kingdom of God is, is not coming in ways that can be observed. It's not going to be a spectacle in that sense. There's, there's not going to be armies and banners and military conquest and thrones and palaces. That, that's not the way the kingdom of God is going to come. And secondly, Jesus says, behold, um, it's in the midst of you. So he says, um, people aren't going to say to you, look, here it is, or there, there's the nation, there's the capital, there's the army, there's the, there's the observable things that, the, that they're expecting. But Jesus says, the kingdom is actually in your midst. So they say, when is it coming? Jesus says, it's, it's already here. And, and it's right here in the, in the midst of you. I mean, he says it in plain Arabic, most likely. It's right here. Now, any listening Pharisee would have scratched their head and, and um, what in the world does he mean by that? If you look at the reality of the nation of Israel, nothing, nothing's changed. What, what does he mean that it's, it's here? Well, you see, Jesus means that the kingdom of God is not primarily about borders. It's primarily about a person. It's, it's primarily about a king. And that's just true regardless of how great or small a, a nation might be. The essence of the kingdom is the king. When a king rules, that's, that's a kingdom. So he's not playing mind games with these people. He's, he's, he's not just trying to trick them or... Uh, just mess them up. He's speaking absolute truth. The kingdom of God has come because the king of God has come. He, he is the king. And he's standing there right in their midst. He's right here. You don't have to say, look over there. Look over there. He's right here. 
See, the, the tragedy, of course, is they, they can't see it. They don't see it. And the question that's being begged here in the text is, why not? Why don't they see it? And, and part of the answer is because this is a, this is a common problem that, that we all experience in, in various ways. Is when you're looking, uh, when you have a misconception about what you're looking for, you, you don't, you can't really see the real thing. Um, I just this past week, um, not bragging, promise you, uh, but I uh, asked my wife, what could I do for her? And she said, you go to Meijer and go grocery shopping. So I don't mind going to Meijer. Um, so I went, and, and one of the things I needed was instant pudding. So in my mind, I'm going looking for probably the frozen section somewhere there, or maybe in the refrigerated place where they have pudding. I mean, what could be more instant than pudding, right? <laughs> so I, but I couldn't, nothing really said instant on it. So I asked one of the ladies that works there, where's the, where's the instant pudding? And she points me down this, this aisle with spices and baked goods and things like that. So I, I'm going down. And then it's in this box. Okay? Now I could have walked past those boxes ten times. Because I'm looking for instant pudding. I mean, pudding that's ready to go. Um, I'm looking for the wrong thing. I know it's silly. <laughs> but it shows how much I cook maybe. But the, um, this is what's going on with the Pharisees, you see. So when, they're, when they hear kingdom of God, they know what it looks like. When they hear Messiah, the king of God, they, they know what to look for. He's going to look like David. He's going to be this amazing military genius who expels the enemies of God. He's going to be like Solomon. There's going to be wisdom and wealth expanding influence. He's going to be clearly a magnificent person who's going to lead us into this magnificent age. They know what they're looking for. And Jesus doesn't look, he's, he's just he's not doing any of that. He's not raising an army. He's not denouncing the Romans. Jesus is spending way too much time, you see, talking to the poor people and far too little time strategizing with the powerful people about how to make Israel great again. That's what they're interested in. So, because they're looking for this thing, they don't see the real thing. The, the real Jesus, the real Messiah, the one who's going to rescue sinful men and women and children... The one who's going to redeem all things by his blood, they don't see that Jesus and they're not interested in that Jesus because they're interested in the much more helpful Messiah, the one who's going to come and do the things they think need doing. That's the Messiah they're looking for. That's the kingdom they're waiting for. Now, it might be tempting for us to write off these men as just hopelessly dim-witted purposefully obtuse. They don't see it because they don't want to see it. And that's true. They don't want to see it. But, but it'd be easy to point fingers at them and not realize that the same thing happens today all the time. Even in the church, it happens. People have all sorts of erroneous expectations of what Jesus should be like. Um, 
what he should say and what he should not say and how he could be helpful. I find that when I travel around, if you, if you have conversations with people about Jesus, very, very few people deny that Jesus existed. Most people um, are familiar somewhat with the stories and not opposed to the stories. Um, you know, incarnation's a cute story, little baby and all that. The cross is, is a gripping tale. You could make a movie about that. The resurrection is exciting. Heaven sounds fun. But you see what folks really want to hear about is the Jesus who's going to help them and be helpful in ways that make sense to them. So the Jesus that helps us flourish as humans in this life, who's going to help us flourish financially or relationally or emotionally or even spiritually, that's the Jesus that people tend to be interested in. Give me a Jesus who dotes on me personally. Give me a Jesus who calls me daily with brief uplifting notes about how much he loves me and how little he requires of me. That will sell. You think I'm joking, go to your local Christian bookstore and ask them about their best sellers. They will not be books about how repentant sinners can escape the wrath to come, but about how anxious Americans can have their best life now. That's what sells. See, the, the astonishing thing about the American church so often is that we miss Jesus. We talk about Jesus, sing about Jesus, but the, the, the Jesus that so many people are talking about is, is the Jesus of their own making, Jesus of their own mind. A, a Jesus who is non-judgmental, doesn't exclude anyone, he's socially active and progressive, is not really hung up on theolo theological issues, just wants what's best for everyone. Give me a life coach, Jesus. Give me a therapeutic Jesus. But the Lamb of God who, who commands all men everywhere to repent, that Jesus is not nearly as popular. A, a mighty king who's coming again to judge the living and the dead, it just it, it sounds harsh. It sounds melodramatic. And so people miss the real Jesus all the time. And we miss the real Jesus because we we're not thinking about issues the way Jesus thinks about issues. Uh, when, when John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Jesus. Well, it's just so often that doesn't resonate because sin doesn't really seem to be a functioning category. We're, we're hurting, we're broken, we're weak. But it's all okay, uh, People assure us because you're right, God loves you just as you are. And Jesus came to help you. Mike Horton um, describes this as the false gospel of God loves you anyway. He says there's no need for Christ as our mediator because uh, God is never quite as holy and we are never quite as morally perverse as to require something as radical as Christ's death in our place. God's our buddy, just wants us to be happy, and the Bible gives us the road map, and so you'll hear sermons on tips and spiritual principles and, um, and techniques about how Jesus can help you to have a, a good life now. So that's what's going on with the, with the Pharisees, and it goes on still today. 
People have a conception of what uh, Jesus uh, should look like and how he, what he should sound like and, and what he should do to be helpful, and they miss the real Jesus. And he's standing right there in his word and by his spirit. Well, Jesus then moves on to the disciples' mistake. He's going to address a false assumptions that the disciples have because their thinking is in many ways like the thinking of the Pharisees. In fact, when Jesus, after the ascension, remember, um, after the resurrection, I mean, right before his ascension, they say, Jesus, are you now going to re restore the kingdom to Israel? The same question. The Pharisees say when, and the disciples say it's going to happen now. They have the same misconceptions. So Jesus warns them. He said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out. Do not follow them. Now notice Jesus is addressing a desire that the disciples will have. The Greek word is epithumia. It's the word used for strong desire, used for lust. Something, there's a, there's a hunger of sorts. This isn't just a, a passing, boy, wouldn't it be nice if. This is a, this is a deeply felt strong passion and desire. And what is it that they will be hungering for? And Jesus says, it's to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Jesus is referencing here a prophecy that we find in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has a vision. And he says, I saw with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him, excuse me, to the Son of Man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're going to want that. There are going to be days when you are deeply hungering to see the glory, to see the, the, the victory in very practical ways, and you're not going to see it. And that is the tension of a follower of Christ in the world today. Uh, the tension is between our longing and the reality of our life. We, we worship the king of glory. We belong to a kingdom of glory. We pray for God's glory. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a taste for glory. We hunger for it. We were created for it. We were redeemed for it. Glory is our rightful home. It is our promised inheritance, but it's not our present life. It wasn't the present life for the disciples or for the early church. The reality of their life was being despised, being mocked, being martyred. The church was worshiping in catacombs. You see, they were poor, they were hated by people without, they were um, beset with sin and weakness within. There, was, there were tears and trials, suffering. And that's the tension. You see, it's okay to long for glory, but, but the reality of our life is, it doesn't look, there's no glory about it anywhere. Jesus says, 
watch out because people will say to you, look there, look here. You see, there are always false prophets capitalizing on this tension, on the desire of Christians to have what God has promised then, now. So, so look here, right? Here's the kingdom of God. Here's, here's splendor and honor and prestige and wealth. What do you think the guys, uh, the, the health and wealth gospels on TV are selling you? They're selling you exactly that. You can be a Christian, and because you are a child of God, it is your native right to prosper. You simply need to claim your right as a child of God. You belong to a conquering king. You should be conquering. And here's how you do it, right? Here's the steps. This is how it works. There's always uh, false prophets tempting you, you see, to buy into some program to get you uh, now what you'll get ultimately then. I, I think... Some of you are not going to like this. I think the whole idea of, of the book like Jesus Calling or even some of the, the, the Pentecostal, the thing be driving Pentecostalism where you can experience now immediate, unmediated intimacy and visions of God. And these teachers will tell you proudly about the visions that they've had. And if you follow these steps, you don't have to live this life of faith and reliance on word and sacrament, these normal, common, humble things. You, I mean, maybe if you're a carnal Christian, that's okay. But if you want to be a spiritual Christian, there's a higher life. There's another baptism. There's tier two. And here's how you get to tier two. It's the same principle, you see. Now, there's, why does that have such power? Why does that allure people? Why do, why do Christians fall for that? Well, I know exactly why they fall for it. Because we want glory. I want glory. I hope you want glory. Right? Aren't, you, aren't you tired of sickness and weakness and death? and sin, and fear? Don't you want that to be done with? I want it to be done with. Don't you want to just move from strength to strength? Don't you want wholeness, and holiness, and peace, and power, and beauty, and joy? I hope you do. If you are a new creation, you have a hunger for those things, and you will not be satisfied until you get them. I won't be. And that's good. That's coming. Paul writes, Romans 8, 18, I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 5, 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Glory is coming. And it has your name on it if you are a Christian. And it is right to hunger for it. 
Jesus doesn't denounce the desire to see the days of the Son of Man. He doesn't say you shouldn't be looking for that. Everything in the New Testament is looking for that. What he says is you're not going to have it. Not in its fullness. You're going to desire to see it and, and you will not see it. So he gives two correctives to this, this temptation for what theologians call an over-realized eschatology, bringing the things for the last days and, and, and uh, trying to have them in their fullness now. So two correctives, and we'll wrap. He says, one, when the Son of Man actually appears, you're not going to need someone to tell you about it. You won't need a new bestseller, right, to inform you about it. There won't be some new program, some new experience. When the, when the Son of Man actually arrives, it's going to whoop the heavens like lightning. And you will be transfixed where you are. You won't be able to miss it. When it happens, there's going to be an unbelievable, instantaneous, unmistakable, unavoidable, unimaginable, blinding, captivating, overwhelming, stupefying glory. And no matter what you are doing or where you are, you will see it. Everyone will. So will be the Son of Man in his day. That's really good news. Jesus is coming again. He, he promised he's coming again. And when Jesus comes again, that's when we get the glory. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 1 Peter 5, 4. When the chief shepherd appears, then you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Man, I hope there's something within you that resonates with that. Then you will receive the unfading crown of glory, honor, beauty, joy, holiness, strength forever. It's coming, but there's a first. Both for Christ and for those who follow him, something has to happen first. And Jesus says, first, for Christ, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. The glory's coming, but first something has to happen. The, the, the disciples need to know this. There needs to be something first, or they're going to be completely confused when the Son of Man is rejected by men. Something has to happen first, and that something is that Jesus has to be despised and rejected by this generation. Eric Alexander, in an excellent sermon on this text, was uh, talking about in 1953. Uh, he remembered the day when Queen Elizabeth was crowned as the queen of the British Empire, and the archbishop presented her to the gathered throngs with the words, uh, Receive your rightful queen. And the people responded, God bless the queen, long live the queen, and they, and they bowed down before her. That's how it's supposed to happen. That is not how it happened with Jesus. So when Pontius Pilate comes out, having examined Jesus and finding him to be without sin, and says to the Jewish crowds gathered there, behold your king, their response was not God bless the king. Their response was, may God condemn and damn this king. They, they did not say, long live the king. What they screamed was, crucify him. 
crucify him. Though Jesus really was a king and never a king more rightfully deserving of praise and honor and obeisance. We will not have this man as our king. May his blood be on us and on our children. He must first, Jesus says, suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Why? Why must? Because the glory only comes through the suffering. The glory of the kingdom only comes through the suffering and death of the king. The victory, the reign only comes through the defeat of death where Jesus suffers under the judgment of his Father as he, Jesus, bears our sin. He suffers, he's rejected, he dies. And that's how the glory comes. C.S. Lewis has captured that story wonderfully in The Lion, The Witch of the Wardrobe. There's a, there's a great a book, I'm not going to remember the title, um, written by Piper and Mathis about C.S. Lewis and uh, just his, his understanding of the big picture and what's yet to come. And, and David Mathis writes in there about an experience he had reading The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe to his four-year-old twin sons. And they, of course, have no idea what this story is about. But he, but he, he just says, um, you know, four-year-olds can track more than you think. You could see it in their eyes as they sat there on the bed, silent and still. They were utterly focused, not sure what would happen next, on pins and needles for every detail. And, and he writes about this interesting experience as they're going through the lion and the witch in the wardrobe. The lion is sort of, he, he, he's the headline, right? It's the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And you don't hear anything about a lion for the first chapters. The first glimpse maybe is, is, is chapter 7 where the, the, the children uh, see something flirting through the woods and they kind of get a brief glimpse that turns out it's a beaver. But in chapter 8, the beaver tells them, the children, a little bit about the lion, Aslan. And Lucy asks, is he a man? And, and in chapter 8, um, beaver says, a man? Certainly not, I tell you. He, he's the king of the woods and, and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And then Susie and Lucy say, well, is he safe? And, and Beaver again, contemptuous, he says, well, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And, and, and Matthew says, my boys were breathless with wonder. And then, and then the story continues, and, and they see uh, the children, uh, the children see Aslan in chapter 12, 70% 70 70 through the book. And, and they come to the, the stone table, and the sound of music to their right, and, and turning in that direction, they saw what they had come to see. He says, you could hear a pin drop in our children's bedroom. And then, and then he reads the story of Aslan being put to death on the stone table as, as he gives his life in place of the traitor, Edward. And, and, they, and he left it there for three days. So his, his, his little boys um, go to grandpa's house and they mournfully tell him uh, Aslan died. He's dead. They have no idea. And then uh, Saturday night, he reads the chapter where Aslan is alive. <laughs> and he says, the boys are they're just, what? He, he's alive? Yeah, he's alive. Like Jesus? Four years old. Yeah, like Jesus. 
And, and he reads the story about how the, the lion explains, Aslan explains what's happened. You see, the, the, the wicked witch knew about a certain magic, but she didn't know about the deeper magic. She didn't realize that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And friends, that's the age in which we live. That's where we are today. It's not yet an age of glory. At present, we do not see him, John says in his first letter. This is the age where we follow a suffering servant. John Peter says, don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to him. Christ has given you example for you to, to walk in his steps. So, so this, is the, this is the age, the time when we, we grieve, we, we cry, we hurt, we suffer the loss of things, we experience trials. And th this is the time, you see, where we don't live by what is observed. We don't live by what people say, look here, see, see. We, we live now by faith. We don't, we don't live by what you can see, but by what has been promised to us. And so this is the time where we wait and we trust and we believe and we hope and we look forward. But it is, it is also an age of, of almost and, and not yet. The victory is secure. The, the triumph has been won. The sacrifice that atones for rebellion and breaks the curse of the law, that sacrifice has been made. Death has been defeated. The, the wrath of God has been propitiated. All things are being made new. And, and the Jesus who accomplished all this does really sit at the right hand of God. And all authority and power really do belong to him. And he's exercising all that power and all that authority and all the glory that belongs to him for your everlasting joy. If you know him, if you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you are among those waiting for him. And so there's a life to live today as the people of God. There's, there's a, an expectation to have. One day, one day we're going to see it in all of its fullness. May that day come soon. Until then, we, we move forward. Until then, we wait on Jesus. We, we rest in him. We hope uh, uh, in him confidently. We work for him. We follow him. We live and die in the confidence that we're not going to be fools. We haven't missed the king. Let's pray together. Oh, God in heaven, I thank you so much for King Jesus. I thank you that he came for people like us, lost people, helpless. We were the traitors. But King Jesus died in our place. And, and so we live in a new age where death has been defeated and sinful man has been reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that there be any here today who have not really trusted in Christ who do not long for his appearing. Lord, I pray that you would, you would show them the, the, the great danger that they are in as we're going to see as we, Lord willing, move on next week in this text. Uh, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to, to come to this Christ and to see him and not to miss him. And so, Lord, work that repenting faith in, into our life and Lord, I pray that no matter what our circumstance is, that we would see Jesus according to his word and by his spirit. 
as, as he has ministered to us in word and sacrament, as we commune with him in prayer, as we believe the promises that are all yes because of him, as we have our hopes set on what is yet to come, while we patiently endure with what is now. Oh God, I, I pray that we would, we would honor Jesus, that we'd love Jesus, and that be ready, we would be ready to meet him when the lightning rips the sky. May, may Jesus grant this to us today in his name. Amen.